This week on Business Brief, we'll take a look at how businesses can promote allyship in the workplace. Then we'll hear about the Clean Water Act and its potential effects on Missouri wetlands. Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alerts podcast focused on business news and issues shaping the state. My name is Brayden Wade, and I'm joined by my co-host, Katie Quinn. Katie, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. It's finally summer and hot here in Columbia, so I'm hoping to find a pool nearby. What about you? I can definitely agree with the heat and needing a pool right now. This week has been pretty peaceful otherwise, especially with the long weekend we just had with Juneteenth. Yeah, the break was for sure nice to have. I think it's time for headlines. I agree. Let's get into it. Ameren, Missouri plans to acquire four new solar farms that would generate enough electricity to power 95,000 homes. The move is a part of the St. Louis Utilities' goal to have a net zero carbon emission by 2045. A significant portion of Ameren's solar plan is likely to be funded by tax credits from the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act. At the same time, the big electric utility on the other side of the state is scaling back plans for its use of renewable energy. Kansas City-based Evergy plans to keep its oldest coal-powered plant open, reversing course on earlier plans. Evergy originally said it would close the energy center by the end of this year, but pushed it back to 2028. Evergy also doesn't plan to add solar-powered energy until 2026, and it cut the amount of renewable energy it aims to add over the next decade. Missouri fell four spots in a ranking of states' business climate for LGBTQ people. LGBTQ plus business group Out Leadership ranked Missouri 39th nationally in its annual ranking. Missouri regressed more than nearly every other state in five areas relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. The drop in ranking comes after Governor Mike Parson signed bills into law that ban gender transition care for minors and require students to compete in sports that match the gender on their birth certificates. A Missouri judge ruled this week that ballot initiatives that would expand abortion access in the state can move forward. The initiatives have been delayed because of a disagreement between state officials over their potential financial impact. But Judge John Beatham ordered Attorney General Andrew Bailey to approve Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick's cost estimate for the initiative petitions. Fitzpatrick's office estimated the initiatives would have little financial impact. With hay in short supply and prices climbing, scammers are targeting farmers in Missouri. Farmers who need to feed their livestock are being duped by scammers who pose as hay sellers on social media. The scammers offer large quantities of hay for inflated prices and collect electric payments for it, only to not deliver. State agriculture officials are fielding complaints and recommend farmers consult the state's hay directory. For our next story, I'm joined by reporter Lucy Valeski, who has been reporting on how a recent federal ruling could impact wetlands in Missouri. Lucy, thanks for being here today. You bet. So tell me about this federal ruling. Sure. At the end of May, the Supreme Court ruled to limit protections on wetlands across the country. The case is called Sackett versus Environmental Protection Agency. A couple wanted to develop property on a wetland in Idaho. But the Environmental Protection Agency stopped the construction because they said it violated the Clean Water Act, which has been protecting water sources in the United States since 1972. What does the ruling mean for wetlands? 
the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Sacketts. That means they established a new rule for determining whether or not a body of water is protected under the Clean Water Act. A wetland must have a continuous land connection to a water source that boats can travel on. This case is basically saying any wetlands that cannot safely hold boats and do not have a visible above-ground connection to those navigable waters are no longer protected. Well, does Missouri have a lot of wetlands? A little more than 1% of the state's surface area is made up of wetlands. It's unclear, though, how many of those wetlands will be impacted by the ruling. How have Missourians reacted to the ruling? There are two main camps. First, a lot of people are excited about the decision because it will give farmers and other developers more flexibility when they want to build on lands that could be wetlands. Under the Clean Water Act, developers need to get a permit before building on or polluting waters that the EPA and Army Corps say are protected. While waiting for permits, developers cannot start their projects, which can be really costly. Dan Ingeman is a director of regulatory affairs at Missouri Farm Bureau. He says that this has been a marquee issue for the farmers' advocacy group for many years because of the cost of delaying construction. Sometimes, development can be delayed because of the weather or other regulatory obligations, so this decision will provide more flexibility for farmers. And this decision could save farmers money, which is a good thing. Yes, this is definitely a win for some developers. However, Brian Quinn of the Department of Natural Resources told me in an email that it could also cost Missouri taxpayers. How so? Wetlands provide many environmental services like flood control and water quality management. It could be more expensive for Missourians to fix environmental problems that wetlands might normally mitigate. Okay, so this decision could hurt Missouri's natural resources that cost money to fix. Exactly. The other issue that environmental advocates brought up was that this decision might not actually save farmers time or money when it comes to development. Bob Meniz, a staff attorney at Great Rivers Environmental Law Center in St. Louis, says that instead of having to obtain a permit to develop on wetlands, developers will now have to determine whether a wetland is federally protected or not, which also requires time and resources. What happens next? The Environmental Protection Agency and the Army Corps have to develop their new definition of protected waters of the United States based on the Supreme Court decision. The new definition will help further determine the future of Missouri's wetlands. Lucy, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. And for more coverage of the Clean Water Act, find Lucy's story on MissouriBusinessAlert.com. With June being Pride Month and Juneteenth earlier this week, it's a perfect time to talk about our next topic. Which topic? Allyship, but more specifically, being an ally in the workplace. So what does that look like? Being an ally broadly means speaking up for people who are from historically marginalized communities. At work, it can lead to a safer and more productive environment. Missouri Business Alert reporter Skylar Rossi spoke with Gadir Garcia, who's the co-founder of Ally Lab, a program based in Kansas City that hosts workshops on effective allyship. Here's part of their conversation. Gadir, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Skylar. Excited to be here. So what does allyship mean to you? So the way that we define allyship at the Ally Lab is it means a person who is not part of a marginalized group coming and taking action for those that are marginalized. That doesn't mean that people who happen to be part of marginalized identities can't be allies, uh, but the work that we do targets those that tend to be outside of those groups because we've found that most of the time the work is placed on those that are 
being directly affected by systemic issues. So why should people and leaders especially be considering allyship? Well, allyship has been shown to um, affect the bottom line of businesses. Um, It shows up in uh, employee satisfaction surveys. Most employees that experience working for companies that promote allyship tend to be more satisfied, more productive. Um, They tend to have better relationships and they tend to stay longer in the company. So it's a benefit to organizations to promote allyship. So with all this in mind, can you give us an overview of what it takes to be a productive ally in the workspace? What are some key pieces to doing it successfully? We talk a lot about changing our behaviors versus changing our beliefs. Our beliefs and our values um, are really important to how we show up in the world. And so we're not here to change that. But what we are here to do is focus in on the skills that help us change our behaviors. So a big major part of being an effective ally is understanding why you're showing up. It's really understanding who you are and why you want to show up for others that might be facing um, systemic issues and challenges. Uh, One of the main things that we talk a lot about is comprehensive listening. One thing that gets lost, I think, in the workplace is nuance. And so comprehensive listening allows us to tap back into the nuance of what's being said and how it's being said. And essentially, all comprehensive listening really means is that we're taking all of the information being presented to us and really leaning into that, really getting um, a sense of what's going on and what's needed. What are some common mistakes that you see managers, leaders, just others in the workplace making that they should be avoiding when it comes to allyship? Uh, We often see that people are um, reticent to take action because it is, quote unquote, a professional space. And they feel like this isn't necessarily a space for things like empathy or for learning beyond uh, a person who is a direct report. And we challenge that by helping people remember that we're human beings that are coming into the workplace um, who have lots of different things going on in our lives. Um, I think in the last few years, we've heard a lot of people say things like uh, bringing your your whole self to work or showing up as your whole self or showing up authentically. And we encourage people to really think about what that means. A lot of of leaders are concerned, similarly to direct reports, of risking social capital. Um, Will they be, you know, respected for, you know, stepping up and saying something? Will they be still seen as leaders? Uh, Will they be challenged? Will they lose their jobs? Things like that. So, um, you know, all of those things are fairly common across uh, ranks. But we, we strongly encourage leaders to take the lead and to lead by example um, by applying those skills. When you talk about these pressures and social capital, um, how like what steps need to happen in order to change that sort of tone in a, in a company or just on, on a team? How do you begin that work? I absolutely believe it starts from the top down. Again, leaders um, leading by example and really examining themselves, really everyone examining themselves um, and figuring out ways to implement uh, accountability measures 
as you practice becoming a good ally. Um, it's about leading by example and owning your mistakes, owning when you don't know something, owning when you're making an effort, but you're still in on the path of learning. Um, I think that shifts the culture, it shifts the relationships and that sh those shifts um, equal others coming along with you. To hear more from Garcia, watch the full interview at MissouriBusinessAlert.com. All right, Katie, are you ready for the word of the week? Yes. Tell me, what's your word? So we're going to go a little spooky here. My word is skeleton crew. And why is that your word? Well, it may not be what you're actually thinking. Starbucks workers at a store in Afton say their store has been reduced to skeleton crews. They say it's a result of attrition that they blame on company management. Gotcha. And this isn't the first Starbucks location to experience labor strife, right? Right. There's been a unionization pushed by employees at Starbucks locations across Missouri and the country dating back more than a year. And workers at the Afton store became the most recent in the state to unionize. More than 300 stores across the U.S. have now officially unionized. Wow. I'm curious to see what will happen with this and the other Starbucks in the area. Definitely. All right, Katie. What word do you have? Okay, my word of the week is viticulture. What's viticulture? It's the growing and harvesting of grapes. Here in Missouri, our wineries are having issues with viticulture because of temperature changes and the drought. And how will this affect wine production? Well, having a healthy vine is key to good wine, but the lack of water is creating issues for the industry. But you won't see effects on production until 2024 and 2025. Wait, why is that? Because wine usually isn't bottled and sold until a year later. All right. And winding down into our closing thought, here's Gadir Garcia talking about what it means to prioritize allyship throughout the year. One of the things that I see done well is consistency. Um, companies that don't wait until Pride Month or Juneteenth or Black History Month or Women's History or whatever it might be um, to make a statement or to change their behaviors and actions internally. Um, it's one thing to appease your clients because, of course, it's a business and we understand that. Uh, then, then it is to actually implement changes that affect and impact employees on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for the music for this episode. For my co-host, Brandon Wade, I'm Katie Quinn, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.